and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Chagiga, daf kaf, page 20. With page 20, we end the second paragraph, but before we do, we have more to talk about. There's the issues of Tumantara, specifically more on the clothing, which I actually found got perhaps even more interesting on this daf, and I think it helps make sense of everything else that we've been talking about. For starters, I would say that the notion of clothing being tummy, right? That having one's clothing become tummy, independent of one's care about one's own body, I think is, again, a, a new concept and something that people needed to have a, a fairly constant awareness about. And that's what this stuff is really about, to have this constant awareness. And, and for us, it's so not something that we're going to have a constant awareness about. You know, like, I feel like I, I was trying to think of what's a comparable thing that people um, you know, pay attention to their attire at all times. And I feel like there are times when someone's on, right? Like if you're, I don't know, if you're on, um, I don't know, you've got a public interview or, or you're giving a public lecture, something like that, and you want to make sure that your seams are all facing the right way and you have no runs in your stockings or anything like that. But even so, like, you know, you you the the impact of something going wrong, um, nobody wants a wardrobe malfunction but there's, but beyond that, right? Meaning, it's a matter of embarrassment potentially. But there's no lasting ramifications of what you do next, except for go get changed. In this case, we're talking about really, we're talking about um, when people were very careful about their own bodies and about making sure that they did not become come in contact with something impure. And then the Gemara says, ah, but even so, they still could be. So that's this example. Uh, that's the first example, and it goes on through the daf. I'm on. I'm at Aleph, not that far from the top. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, no, I'm sorry. Amar Rabbi Yonatan ben Elaz ben Elazar nafla mefrato heimenu. Amar lechaviro tnali unetana lo tmea. So what happens? So we have somebody. Rabbi Yonatan ben Elazar says, if somebody's wearing a shawl, and the person who's wearing the shawl is somebody who's particularly careful about tumantara, but the shawl fell off of him, as shawls are wont to do. And then he says to somebody else, you know, walking by, hand it to me, right? Then then that alone is enough to, to render that shawl tameh, to make it impure. And this even more so, what happens? Somebody who, you know, this was in an era where people did not have the oodles of garments in their closets that we Many of us, most of us, me certainly have in our closets today, right? So what happens is, is if you're if you switched your shop's clothes for your regular clothes, meaning you're supposedly wearing the regular attire during the week, but instead you show up in your big day Shabbat, your Shabbat attire, then that alone is enough to say or to presume and to therefore decide that the clothes are impure. Why? Because the very fact that you're wearing different clothing is considered enough of a distraction to the person wearing them to keep him from his usual caution about making sure that he doesn't come in contact with something coming. So we're talking here about real fine-tuned um, awarenesses, right? That the slightest thing might distract you, not because you're so proud, prideful or something of your clothing, but just because the, you're in a You've shift your norm, and by shifting your norm, you might not be as careful as usual. So what happens? Rabazar ben Sardok says there's two women who themselves are wives of chaverim. Chaverim, a chaver in this case, I mean, literally the word means friend, but in this case it means somebody who is 
knowledgeable, and in this case, particularly careful about Tumantara. In contrast, I would say to the Amharats, right? The Amharats who literally it means ignoramus, but really we use it in this context to mean somebody who's not careful about Tumantara. So in this case, these are women who are wives of people who are very careful, and they're in the bathhouse and they switch their clothing. Um, I believe this is by accident, but I don't know that it matters. Um, yeah, I don't know. So what happens? The whole story, meaning the fact that these two women were in the bathhouse and they switched their clothes, um, comes before Rabbi Kiva, and he says those clothes are impure. Meaning the very fact that they kind of weren't paying full attention at all moments, because obviously they took the wrong person's clothing, each other's clothing, right? That makes the the garments impure, even though nothing happened that would be a, a more direct cause, right? There's no awareness of something that rendered the clothes impure. Rather, it's the fact that there was a, like a, a, a brief time of inattention that makes it possible that they became impure and therefore they're halakhically decided to be impure. And Rabbi objects to this and it's an interesting objection. Rabushai says, like, if we have examples, right, where somebody goes to take, you know, takes a loaf of bread from a basket and, it, and expects to get a loaf of wheat bread, but instead gets a loaf of barley bread, right? And so then you say, well, it was the wrong one, so therefore it's impure. And the Gemara, like, you might want to say, well, yeah, that is what, let's call it impure, but we've got a Brighton that says to the contrary, and it gives an example here of, and I'm not going to read this ex inside, but it's an example of wine and oil, and we talked about this, you know, long ago in the context of, you know, something that could be found to be impure, but, um, you know, but the conclusion is the fact that you have handled the fact that you have reached for the other one, let's say, does not render it impure. So that loaf of bread example, therefore, should not mean that the thing should be impure. And therefore, you might think that because these two women were both um, married to people, you know, they were living in a culture of extreme caution with regard to Tumantara. Why can't we just assume that each of them, in fact, had, you know, pure clothing, regardless of the other person's content, contact of it? Um Okay, so fine. Rabbi Yermia says about that example, the example of the wine, So Rabbi Yermia says that's all about something where we're saying we can't, we don't want to say that it's tame, meaning we're not going to say that this, that level of switching is going to render something impure. But in this case, we're talking about knocking something out for use even if it's not fully impure. And that level, it seems that that level of caution, right, which is what we're talking about, right, meaning people were very cautious to make sure that things did not get tummy, but were people as cautious to make sure that they weren't valid for use um, to make sure that, you know, that it couldn't, um, to make sure that it doesn't make it possible to render something else impure, that seems to be, uh, again, a different level of, of caution. Okay, and now I want to jump down um, a little further on the, we're, I'm still on a Madalf. I'm a bet. Your name, I'll hand over to you. It really brings in the next pair. But here we have, again, other examples, other, and these are more cases. The old motif, Rabbi Baravua, Masebi Shachat, Shabbat, Leaf Day, Rabbi Yishmael, Vamra Rebbe, Begize, Agarti, Bentahara, Velo Hayabli, Bilish, Omro, Betara. So this is an interesting case, and it goes back to the discussion of intent. 
that we had the other day or the recent recent dapim, right? She says, I I wove this garment. She herself was in a ritually pure state. And she says, but she wasn't thinking about it all the time to protect the purity of the garment. And then, so what does he do? So he checks, he asks a lot of different questions to figure out, is it possible that it came in contact with something impure that would then render the garment impure? And then she says, She says, a, a woman who is in herself, in meaning not this woman, a different woman, was in fact a nida, a, a menstruating woman who is that's a status of impurity, and she pulled the rope, meaning as she was weaving, right? It's a she did something to help. And so Rabbi Shmuel's reaction is, you know, well, you know, praise be, right? Glory be that we found the phenomenon of um, inattention, in fact, aligns with, lo and behold, there was, in fact, an event that made, that that was a con- contact with the impure, with the impure woman that made the garment impure. And that would be the difference, let's say, that if she had been paying full attention to protect the garment and keep it pure, then she would have, I don't know what, told that woman, you know, not to touch it, something like that, right? Meaning that the inattention is what allowed for this to happen. She didn't even remember it as a conscious thing until she was given the third degree to try to figure out whether the status of the garment remained pure or not. So, you know, it, it's interesting to me also, I think that the immediate reaction, or at least the Gemara's presentation of it, is that it's the immediate reaction to say, you know, how smart were Chazal? How smart were the sieges? How wise were they to make sure that anything that we want to keep tame, no, I'm sorry, anything we want to keep tahur, anything we want to keep pure, must always have our focus on it. And again, we have another similar example. Shuv Masebi Shachat, Shabbat Lifnei Rabbi Shmal. Another woman came before Rabbi Shmal. I suppose this was one of his, uh, I don't know, areas of expertise, or at least people knew that he could answer these questions. Amra Lo, Rabbi, Mapazo Agartia, Betara, Veloi She says, I, I wove this cloth. And a in modern Hebrew is a is a tablecloth, but it doesn't have to be. In this case, it could just be you know the weaving of cloth. And she says, but I wasn't I wasn't thinking all the time to make sure that it didn't come in contact with with impurity, that to make sure that it stayed pure. She what happened? She says. Oh my goodness, he again he asks her all these questions. And as she's, you know, recalling the event, she says, Oh, yes, a thread that was woven in the cloth, it snapped. And then she tied it, or she, you know, I imagine she wet it, right? For the sake of being able to use the thread more finely. I think anybody who's ever done any amount of sewing knows exactly what this is, right? And then, but because the thread touched her spit or saliva. Right, that is then considered a source of impurity, which would make the cloth impure because you know it's been come in contact with the impure liquid, and therefore, right, that's that's a problem. So the cloth that did not have her attention at all times to make sure it stayed pure again was rendered impure. And again, Rabbi Yishmael, Amir Rabbi Yishmael, Kama Gedolim Chachamim Shayu Omrim Tahor Rabbi Yishmael again says, you know the whole wisdom of Chazal and making sure that if you keep your mind on something to keep it pure, then we consider it pure. But if you have not done so, then we think it is, you know, not pure. Um, and 
for all that the you know the Gemara obviously goes on in these discussions before we get to the very end of the parak. But what I think this does, what this stuff did for me, was to highlight to some extent anyway the degree to which the purity or impurity of a garment was of essential. Uh, you know, daily behavior type of, type of thing, at least for anybody who needed to be pure for their food or something like that, right? If they're eating from us there. Um, but the idea that this was something that, you know, those who were particularly careful even with their own bodies to keep their bodies pure might not have been as careful and constantly vigilant with regard to their garments is also, I think, an interesting wrinkle, pardon me, pardon the pun, that I might not have realized simply from the phenomenon of begadim, of clothing, um, garments becoming impure. There does seem to be this gradation and people who are, you know, they're, they're looking to find out the status of the garment. They're very concerned with the status of Tumantara. And nobody is um, being disrespectful, I would say, of these women who come with these questions. Rather, they're actually, the women themselves are concerned to do it, to do the right thing, so to speak, to make sure that they know what the status is of the garment. And Rabbi Shmuel's response is about Chazal's approach and not about the woman who, oh my goodness, she lost track of her attention. Nobody's saying you have to keep attention all the time. But if you don't keep attention, you cannot assume that your garment is pure. Well, I, I think what these past few Dapim have showed us, and we're going to continue to talk about Tuman Tower, I'm going to read the new Mishnah soon, is, you know, we talk about how we don't do Tuman Tower today, but it really permeated sort of your day-to-day items in your house, right? You had to be careful about food. You had to be careful about your clothing. I mean, think about how much this actually occupied as a, a, a person. You know, these are things that we interact with all the time on a day-to-day basis, and you had to actually be very careful with them. And I think this whole category of the Amha'aret, which today is sort of a derogatory term, but in the times of the Mishnah Gemara, is not meant derogatory. I think it's sort of an acknowledgement that in sort of in any halakhic system, and we see this today too, there are those who are going to sort of want to keep things one way and those who are going to keep it a different way. And so what do you do about that, particularly around issues of Tumantara, uh, when one group is being very scrupulous and one may not be as scrupulous as that former group would like? Yeah, I think that I think the fact that there were clearly differences of approach in how people conducted themselves in society is very, um, you know, in sharp relief by these kinds of stories. And I, I wonder, I, I don't know that it was really any societal divide. We, we don't know. But, um, but it might have been. It's, but I think you know, it's also just like human nature in a way. And if you notice, the Gemara is not critical of it. It's just more to state it as matter of fact. Yes, yes, exactly. It's not like Amharats is bad. It's like that they're just Amharats and this is what they do. And so this is sort of the corrective or what you have to do if you are in the other category, but it's right. Not and like I feel like and we I may not have said this often a lesson to be learned from that. Yes. I was just going to say, I think we may not have emphasized this enough previously, right? The status of being Tame is not a sin. There's, if you are a Tame, there are certain things you cannot do. And if right. you were There's to do them, that might be a sin. It. There's consequence to it, but it's not a sin. Right. Okay. Parent Gimel. Okay, now we're going to move on to uh, Paragimel. Now, it's a little bit odd because I'm not completely following the structure of the Mishnah in this uh, in this Masachet because we're still talking about Tuman Tower here. We're going to get introduced now to a concept of Malos. This will be on, on tomorrow's DAF. Um, but basically, 
one of the things that we've learned about is, is that there are sort of safeguards that the rabbis put on to protect the tahara of a variety of items, right? And so the most, uh, the thing they tried to protect the most was the mechatas, that's the water that was mixed with the ashes of the paraduma, right? Followed by kados, which is certain types of sacrificial foods and, and items like that. Um, and then just below that is truma. So this mission is basically going to, to list uh, places where the rabbis basically said there was sort of a higher standard for Kodesh than there was for Truma. And again, so that's those standards are going to be called Malot, but we'll, we'll get to that term uh, later on. So Homer ba Kodesh mi ba Truma. So the stringency, right, a Homer of, of Kodesh over Truma, right, is Shemak bilin kelim betoch kelim le Truma, that we can immerse vessels within other vessels for Truma. Of a Lola Kodesh, but not for a Kodesh. So in other words, let's say you have two vessels that are Tameh, okay? And you're putting them in a mikvah in order to make them Tahor to use for Truma, right? You can keep the smaller one inside the larger one during the immersion. But if you're using them for a Kodesh, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. They actually would have to be, uh, they would have to be separated. Um, and then it goes on to say, right? Ahurayim. Um, the outside and the inside and the tzvita place, right, of a vessel are considered separate vessels with regard to truma, about low bakodesh, but not with kodesh. Okay, so what is that that we're uh, that we are uh, that we're talking about here? The Gemara is going to explain this later on, so we're going to see this actually on Daf Kafbet. So we're gonna we'll leave that for a little bit later, okay? But in <laughs> other words, we're describing different parts of. Um, in other words, a kli, a vessel can be made in a way essentially that it can have set, that it, that each part of it basically functions as its own kli, right? So, in other words, you have the inside, right? The outside, and then we'll we'll get to what this mysterious, uh, mis, you know, mysterious beit uh, hatsvita is. Okay, but that's the point: is that they're all considered different kalim. But this would not be the but this would not be the case with. Uh, with Kodesh, okay? And that what basically it's saying is, is that um, when it comes to, to Kodesh though, if one part of the of the Kli becomes Tameh, right? Then basically the rest of the Kli becomes Tameh. Whereas if it's for Truma, if one part of the Kli becomes Tameh, then the rest of the whole Kli is not actually Tameh. That's that's what's important here. Okay, Hanoseyata Midras, one who's carrying a Midras, Noseyata uh, Truma can also carry Truma, but cannot carry uh, so remember, midrash is that term that's used to some type of article, which was like a zav or a zava or a nida sat on, right? Usually that they, it carried the weight of them. Um, and so you can carry those simultaneously with truma, but you cannot do that with uh, with kodesh. Big day ochle truma midrash kodesh. The garments of those who eat truma, right, are regarded or it's thought of as midrash for those who eat kodesh. But that's not the rule for, for, unlike the rule of Kodesh, is the rule of, of Truma. Okay, and so now the, the Mishnah is going to explain exactly what this means. Because for Kodesh, if somebody wants to purify a garment, you have to untie the knots and he has to dry the garment if it's wet. And only then can he immerse it and then he retie the knot. But in the case of truma, he can tie knots into the garment and then immerse the garment. 
nigmarim b'tara, vessels that were com- that were completed in a state of tara, surchin to vila kodesh. You still have to basically immerse them before you're going to use them for kodesh. Okay, about low with truma, but that's not the case for truma. In other words, if the vessel was made with total t- a tara, you don't have to. If it was tahor, you don't have to tovel it again. A vessel combines with what's in it with regard to Kodesh. In other words, if you had separate pieces of Kodesh food were in one vessel and one person who was Tame touched one of those pieces, all the pieces basically become Tame. But that's not true with Truma. If you have multiple pieces of Truma in a vessel and one piece becomes Tame, only that piece becomes Tame. There be in the case of... Uh, Kadosh is uh, is considered to be unfit, but but is only the shlishi that's considered to be unfit for truma, right? So we what we're talking about here is is that we know that there's all different levels of truma, right? There's the there's the uh, there's the avad truma, right? That's the actual thing that gives you truma. Then there's the rishon latoma sheni with truma. So what our mission is basically telling us that when it comes a sheni latuma, excuse me. So our mission is basically telling us that when it comes to truma. The tuma can go one step further; it becomes shlishi. When it comes to kodesh, it can actually go down to even a ravi. That's how much it can go down to. Um, uh, and then we go on to say uba truma mat achad miadav. Right? Let's say if a person's hand, if one of a person's hands becomes tame, its other hand is considered to be tahor. Right? So, in other words, you theoretically could carry the truma in your tahor hand, even though your other hand is tame. If you're going to handle Kodesh, if one hand becomes tummy, you actually have to immerse both hands. For a hand makes its counterpart tummy when it comes to Kodesh. But that's not true. We can eat dry foods with contaminated hands in the case of Truma foods, but that's not the case with Kodesh. Right, so that has to do with there's a halacha in Vayikra in chapter eleven that talks about that a food can't contract tuma unless it becomes mukshar. In other words, it has to be moistened by water or other liquids like dew, wine, oil, blood, milk, and bees honey. Um, and there's a homa second called machshirin that deals with this. So our Mishnah basically tells us that if somebody's hands are tame, they can hold any dry tuma. But if you're, um, which wasn't machshir, that never became moist. Okay. But if you are, because it can't actually become tame, but it's only it's only once the food has become wet or, or basically mukhshar through wetness, then it can actually become tame by those tame hands, okay? But this would not be the case with Kodesh. We don't have the same leniency for Kodesh. So again, a, a, a whole bunch of things about Tuman Tower that we actually don't deal with at all today. Um, it's ama- but, I, but again, I think the more I learn about Tuman Tara, uh, this must have, you know, when I always think about sort of like what takes up our halachic space today, this took up a lot of halachic space. Like you really had to think about this all the time. And and I think that's exactly why it can't be characterized as good or bad, because then you would be going crazy. I think the assumption is sometimes your hands are going to be tame, sometimes your tan are gonna, hands are going to be tougher. And then it's just a question of what do you do to get out of it? So Rav Yitzchak Tversky Zetzel used to used to say I heard him say it a number of times um, that Kedusha I don't want to misquote him so this is what I'm taking from what I recall him having said um, which is that 
Kedusha, sanctity, is found in that constant awareness of, of what is what, right? What is what is not his vocabulary, certainly not. But so I always thought about that in the context of, you know, we make Kiddush on Shabbat day and we have an awareness that Saturday isn't just Saturday, but it's Shabbat, right? It's a, it's a different kind of day. And in this context, right, the constant awareness, you know, the degree to which people who cared about this system were needed to be constantly aware imbued their lives, I think, with a whole different level of, let's call it Kedusha, right? Meaning, because even if they were impure, right? Meaning, again, there's no, there's, I agree with you, Yordana, there's no um, upside, I don't want to say there's no upside, there's no, there's no value judgment on whether you're being pure, whether your status is pure or impure, but you have to know what it is because there's implications for what you do next, right? And I feel like to be constantly aware of, you know, what you have touched, what you may not have touched, to come back to an awareness after a st- uh, a period of inattention, I feel like this whole thing is like a whole, it's like a, a next level up in terms of what does it mean to live, you know, Jewishly to live in accord with halacha far beyond anything that we're dealing with. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrum website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.